kind of see mm-hmm. that everybody's got their own prejudice and everybody's yeah, trying to survive. a little bit racist sometimes. <laughs> Doesn't mean you go around committing hate, hate crimes. crimes. Well, this this is a Prince household. Um, you know, even when we talk about the Prince versus Michael Jackson, I'm like, do you want music for adults or relax, relax, <laughs> do you want, relax? You know, do you want to? You know, do you want to boogie down or do you want a bone? That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Sure. I um I had never watched. She's got to have it all the way through. I did watch a lot of the series with Nicole, which it really just took the, the movie and just kind of expanded it. Every episode was like a scene. Mars was still irritating. <laughs> Mars is what happens when you let somebody out of the friend zone, out of the little brother zone. This <laughs> is what happens. This is why the friend zone exists, guys, because a bunch of you are, are Mars Blackman. <laughs> and not as funny and not nearly as funny at least Mars was like sensitive to an extent and like you know a little self aware he knew he was insecure mm-hmm. <laughs> but it was like at least he knew that I never gave the, the TV show a shot just not in the sense that I thought it would be bad but I just kind of never cared to honestly this movie isn't something I grew up with this didn't even have a really big life on cable, honestly. Like, yeah. I don't remember watching she, She's Gotta Have It until maybe 10-ish years ago. Maybe even less. Like, it's it wasn't something that kind of repeated. The Spike repeat movies were always Do The Right Thing, Malcolm X. Um, maybe you, you make it more better blues, like, here and there. But School days for me. School days was heavy in rotation at the at our house. Oh, There's yeah. a definitely part of me that is wondering if she's got to have it was not in the regular rotation because I would say a very ahead of its time representation of female sexuality. And oh, yeah. uh, that probably made white male cable executives bow ties start spinning. Uh, oh, yeah. Which uh, I will just say this is a very awkward movie to watch with your dad. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Damn girl, I mean, hey. Well, the best part I is mean... that he he kept falling asleep and like waking up at the worst parts. That's and I was like the worst just, parts are the best parts. The worst parts are the best parts. A whole lot of boing. Yeah, and I was just a like a whole lot of boing. Don't make eye contact. Don't make eye contact. Yeah, man. This I would not have watched this with my parents. I didn't know. Hey, it is called She's Gotta Have It. They are not talking about chocolate. 
I assume well, they were they talking, talking about, about money. <laughs> they are. No. No. Well, they are talking about chocolate. You know, in a sense. Hey. But, uh, hey, hey. Well, I also kind of grew up in that realm where it was like, I think people were actually saying she's got to have it. Like, and like then calling like, freaks. Yeah, and then like elbowing each other in the side, you know? Like, I'll have, I'd have sex with her if you know what I mean, you know? Like, <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> yeah, it, it is, I, I mean, I, I do think that. I may even, I don't know, I, I don't know the age difference between Mark Robb and myself, but I do feel like I was growing up, like, right in that era. Like, I was right in that sweet spot of, like, wanting a starter hat with the tag still on it. Hell and, yeah. like, Fila M-Squads and Grant Hills and stuff. So, like, I was around that age where I knew exactly what was going on. Um, and I was kind of, like, waking up to everything where I was like, Hey, uh, you know, where where parents couldn't spell anything over my head anymore. So it was just <laughs> like, yeah, we got to close this door and talk about this. So, um, yeah, around that time. So she's got to have it definitely meant sex to me. And it was just like, you know, a lot of people had to have it. I mean, because this isn't a movie that you can replay on UPN, uh, not on BET. <laughs> and even, even mm-hmm. for stuff... Even if you want a that. terrible, terrible version that's just like, if you want something that is like the opposite of Cat's dad, like waking up on all the quote unquote worst at the most inopportune time, if you want that, you will put it on BET. If you want like a yeah. lot of cutaway, a lot of just mother lovers and that's and, and, and raise your luck up. If you want yeah, all of that, that, yeah. Like the only like the only kind of like risque sex movies that got real kind of replay on cable were Basic Instinct and that sex Madonna movie Body of Evidence. They got very little play. <laughs> uh, I remember Stacy. I always forget. Um, is it Devil in Blue? It was it was the Stacy Dash uh, vehicle where it was just like she was gonna she was gonna break out and be a really big star and show her tits. And um, it, it happened, and then it was just like, all right, thank you very much. <laughs> like, that was the uh, first thing I was brave enough to rent from a video store. <laughs> Damn. Jesus. Hey, my mom was a monitor. She thought everything I was getting was WWF. And for the most part, it was. And I was like, I would always eyeball that Stacy Dash flick. And I said, you know what? Today's the day. Today's, Today's the day I'll become a man. I'm gonna, we're going to do this. Boing. Boing indeed. But then I took I had to take it back because you know she's a she's a dancing daffy. And yeah. also that's how <laughs> rentals work. Yeah. Yeah. Oh no no I, I'm telling I'm taking my boing back because Stacy Dash is a living mess. Oh the yeah. Living minstrel. <laughs> Mammy. <laughs> I like you. Uh, I miss Dave Chappelle, but <laughs> but his racism is killing me inside. I miss good Dave Chappelle, I should say. Um, but but for she's gotta have it though. Cat, this was your first time watching this though, right? Yeah. So when you immediately finished the movie, like what was kind of your impressions of this movie? Bold of Spike Lee to try to make a movie about polyamory without ever explaining or casting polyamory in a good light at all. <laughs> Uh, I don't know if in 1986. 
I yeah. mean, was that really the environment for poly relationships to thrive? I mean, at, at this point, it doesn't matter, though, because I feel like the narrative is a little judgy of the idea that she won't settle down. And she's a little judgy of these guys for going along with it. And, like, it, it just, the whole thing seems like a, a judgment in a way that I was like, I mean, you're right, she's bad at communicating, but, like, is this a, a judgment on her or her inability to pick one of them? I think all, well, all three of them are obviously jealous of each other, and they're trying to force her into a decision that she does not want to make. Mm-hmm. If Spike and really kind of the hell out of here, too. Get, get Opal's old canceled ass, thirsty ass out of here, too, bro. <laughs> Yeah, that was another thing where I was like, "What do do we hate lesbians now? What, what? like?" I mean, this is a, this is a society that was not very gay positive. So yes, men hating lesbians was definitely time, a thing of the eighties. What was that? And I mean, just you know, Opal just kind of forcing herself in the whole situation it was just like, "Yeah, no, I don't want you though." And he's just like, "You sure?" And like. Yeah, she sure. she doesn't seem to have an issue telling people what she wants. Right. Yeah. Um, and no, that was kind of a stereotype coming out of the 80s, and I even remember it in the 90s and maybe even in the early 2000s where men just thought lesbians were really trying to convert every girl gay. Mm-hmm. Like, I remember even in high school, girls getting quote-unquote turned out turned out oh like, god bro it's so, such a dark time in america bro. <laughs> so um well i mean i think it's that and this is that we talk you know homophobia it's just as a whole it's it's not just you know you being gay over there it's you being gay over there you go try to flip me dog and it's like fam first of all you don't dress nice enough for them to even like for to pop up on their radar okay you're fine nobody's gonna try and do anything to you listen i'm handsome i have actually been uh um, complimented by gay men and they don't want me all right they know like they're like you're straight you're handsome and you're straight and that's where it ends right like you gotta have some 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 confidence and some some goddamn security in yourself to be like you know just because you are what you are doesn't mean it's going to affect me in any way shape or form over here you you go ahead do your thing you know but it's like come like coming out of the aids like coming out of the aids epidemic and media just not being like gay friendly at all like or knowing what the hell they're talking about like, yeah, like it's just this big paranoia that was created. Get it from a kiss. It's like, yeah, and people were just paranoid of like getting getting AIDS. Didn't know where it was coming from. They only knew it as like the quote unquote gay disease, and it's just overall think tank and cesspool of just negativity. For anyone coming out like during this time period, like I definitely commend them for that because, bro, like that that must have been a motherfucker. Brutal. Yeah. I will also say I did really enjoy the movie. I did too. I I like that it kind of knocked me on my heels a bit with, mm-hmm. um, you know, it wasn't like this regular old um, rom com. Uh, you know, it was you do, you don't see guys have to compete so directly. Like they all knew each other. 
they all knew what the other guy brought to the table, literally at the mm-hmm. uh, Thanksgiving dinner. And, and and I thought it was pretty even. I, I thought that Spike did a pretty good job as far as like judging, well, not even judging, but just kind of like calling out guys on that insecurity, calling out guys on that quote the the weak rap in the beginning, mm-hmm. where it's just like, hey baby, hey baby, you know, it's just like, you know, I thought he was pretty. I thought it was pretty fair because, you know, we, we, we often curl around the term men are trash. And it's like, here they are. And it is just Each like trash in their own unique and beautiful way. Yeah. And it wasn't like an exaggeration either. Like we all know a guy I, I was, I mean, we all know the I'll drink your bath water guy. We all know the I'd sop you up with a biscuit guy. You know what I'm saying? Like that didn't, yeah. you know, and I was surprised that guy didn't show up. But uh, there was always that, that, that person, you know, ready to sop you up with a biscuit. In my experiences, I found two types of men, the decent ones and the dogs. It seems that men are taught not to be in touch with themselves, with their true feelings, but the things that they do say, weak. You so fine, baby. I drank a tub of your bath water. Congress has just approved me to give you my heat and moisture-seeking MX missile. That's one rocky world. You may not realize it tonight, but you're sending out some uh, very strong vibes. May I continue? Well, you're lonely, you're alone, you're sad, you're confused, you're horny. You see, you need a man like me to understand you, to hold you, to caress you, to love you. You need me. What's your number? Yeah, like dudes be having weak rap, like, and that's just from not knowing how to honestly talk to women. (laughs) Hey, I like. And so when we get Jamie, uh, in the beginning, you know, he comes off. I don't know how he came off to you guys, but it was just like, well, hell, that's honest. Yeah. You know, it was like, well, that that's an honest way of coming off to somebody. And it's like, you know, whatever you want to do, I'll do it. Wherever you want to go, I'll take you there. It was like that's kind of a lot for somebody you first meet him but he sucked the least until he sucked until the most SVU. yes yeah when and she I was, was like, super confused by that too and well she was like but like it's still him and i was like bitch it is not yeah. like i'm sorry i have i have been very impressed with you up until now your hair is beautiful i think you're great i like that you don't care that you can see your nipples through a shirt uh, don't go back to him, please. Yeah, and I think there's actually kind of, I think kind of a genius part of his character. Like, the, the entire movie, like, you're rooting for this quote-unquote good guy. Like, you're comparing and contrasting him to Greer and to Mars, and it's like, wow, like, this guy, who is the guy she needs to be with? But in Super the end, like, honest, he's, he's, he's always just there for her. And Yeah. But you in know. the end, he's just as jealous, like, and he's yeah. he's just and possessive as is all hell. Like, yeah, he's super possessive, and it's like you can't be possessive to somebody that's like, hey, I'm a blue sky. Everybody has the blue sky, you know. I also, like, I feel so bad for the girl that he was dating as well, because that was she's pretty much a prop to get Nola to put up or shut up. Hundred percent. Oh no, yeah, she was just a, a a person to fuck on, like, like and like that scene where she's like, "I won't be here when you get back," and he mumbles under his breath. He's like, "Good." And I was like, "Oh no." He travels via the the train to get to her. Like, there's a lot of thinking that you would do in that situation. Like, 
and, and then to show up and then you see her and it's like, dude, listen, if you're that mad, don't go. All right, we're not going to, there's no way we're going to justify this crime you're about to commit, bro. Like, it's like you've lost all benefit of any doubt by, you know, first it of all. It makes like, it seem calculated at exactly. that point. Because it, it looks like some heat of the moment. He's so uh, overcome when he ever. sees her. Yeah, but that's like, you got a he, lot of time to sit there and think, like, what you're going to do, what you're going to say when you get there. And it's like, that's what you do. Yeah, that's, that's he knew what he was going to do. Yeah, yeah. That's not the play, my man. Um, that is never the play. <laughs> this is never a play. And going back to just kind of the development of the characters, and she's got to have it. In the review that I wrote on Letterbox, I kind of wrote a little bit about Nola. Thinking about Nola as an iconic character is interesting. She was a woman that had full autonomy around men that were completely selfish. Greer, the most self-centered of all the men in Nola's circle, was near accurate in his assessment of the three men that were viewed as equal parts. They all had something she wanted and she went for it. She didn't lie about what or who she wanted and the men were completely threatened and jealous of one another. The Nola character in like black culture, she pretty much is one of the, of our lifetime at least, like one of the most iconic characters that I can think of, especially when talking about someone in control of their sexuality and her sexuality kind of defines her, but you can tell like that's not necessarily all that is her. It's not, but it's also she's, her choice to do it that way. You know, yeah. It's just like she's got like a beautiful apartment. She's well dressed. Like she has a job as a magazine layout artist. Like she's doing cool stuff. This movie just happens to focus on this particular aspect of her. I want you to know the only reason I'm consenting to this is because I wish to clear my name. Not that I care what people think, but enough is enough. And if in the end it helps some other people out, well, then that's fine, too. I consider myself normal, whatever that means. Some people call me a freak. I hate that word. I don't believe in it. Better yet, I don't believe in labels. But what are you going to do? This was the deal. Yeah, and the show kind of, like, stretches on that. So it's like, you know, she's she has, like, gallery shows and that sort of thing. And then we get to, explain, we get to explore, like, so, of course, it's like, I'm, vaguely remembering that she had like some sort of um gallery thing to do and of course all three guys show up because fuck it um mm-hmm. y'all go come y'all <laughs> y'all jostling for position and they can't not support her so you know they all show up uh, it, it, it was it, it does a whole lot with while still exploring that weird um uh love rectangle that but it's like yeah that would be a little more interesting if you guys just expounded upon everything besides her fucking you know yeah yeah and also like not for i'm not trying to be judgy here but like her fucking isn't super interesting besides the fact it's three guys yeah like it's not (laughs) like there's anything particularly special about it she got the hotation but there was no yeah. movie showing black woman with a hotation before. She True. she does she does indeed have her revolving door going. Uh, it is a well oiled revolving door. These boys are well oiled. I don't know. I just and, and maybe the show expounds on this. And also, like again, I think this movie is focusing on one kind of very specific aspect. 
and and even all of the scenes in between the men they're kind of posturing about you know who's who's the more suitable boyfriend but really it's like how many nights do you spend a week like it's it's really yeah. about the sex even when it's not about the sex uh i also like well, to, to add to that though i think that um there are like some really cool moments of intimacy mm-hmm. in this besides the actual physical act of sex um just um and this is going to be weird but you know it's it's all over Pornhub anyway uh the whole little brother thing like that i that i see with um with mars he's you know that's that's such a guy that you would just be like you're like a little brother to me the um scalp greasing um yes is definitely such a great scene but that's something that you could that's something that you could do with a boyfriend but that's also something that you could do with you know somebody that you consider you could do that with any member of your family like mm-hmm. if you've ever had your scalp greased this by someone who loves you and that's like kind of you know to to take that something that far this kind of it's it's that that weird duality there of like you know this is somebody that I you know share a bed with but this is also somebody that I could see as like a little brother type um, all the jokes he's like super short even the um yeah where they're doing <laughs> where she's running her foot up against his uh his uh the, sneakers the and this yeah. yeah it's just like you know that's real little brother stuff man and um the bongo sex with greer I mean, yeah i'm watching that right now <laughs> <laughs> the boingo sex with greer um bro this man ocd folding up every piece of clothes bro 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 i howled at that shit <laughs> she's like legit just waiting in she's bed like fam get in here never mind never mind that he just worked out and sweated in these clothes so in theory yeah. they're dirty anyway right the greer was so meticulous and annoying and just like a serial killer obviously basically right. he definitely black republican vibes oh yeah <laughs> Well, if they would just listen to the police and do what they tell them to do, they wouldn't have to worry about the violence. Oh, big time. I can definitely see that from him. <laughs> he drives off. All lives matter. All lives matter, baby. Oh, my God. <laughs> While he unironically wears a dare shirt. Oh, <laughs> Jesus. There's any loose notes you guys have for this one? I really like that only one scene is in color. Yeah, I have yeah. that in here too. I feel like just from a from like a filmmaking perspective, I thought this was a really unique style. I liked the kind of alternating into and out of the interviewing kind of format. In my in my letterbox review, I did shout out um, Eric Dickerson. He's a director of photography. Mm-hmm. He did all the photos in the intro also yeah i actually i think of this movie i think he probably is the most impressive out of everyone like stylistically like other than maybe mo better blues like i would not describe any spike lee movie as sexy including girl six <laughs> <gasps> but we're gonna get into Teresa randall later 
Oh my god. I I watched I rewatched Girl Six and I wrote seven paragraphs in Letterbox about it. Like that that movie is a whole different ball of wax, but um she's gotta have it. I think this is actually a very poignantly artistically beautiful movie. Um, especially with even the scenes with Nolan making the art, like in the photography and even talking about when the scene came in color the graffiti stood out like a motherfucker. I forgot yeah. about 80s New York graffiti being yeah. a thing. Like, that shit was everywhere. And um, it, it was it was such a, like, it was jarring almost, but it was because of just, like, the patterns that we were experiencing through the movie, you kind of already saw some color. So, mm-hmm. like, I mean, it's like, when it starts, it's jarring that it's in black and white, but then, when like, her sheet is, you know, that African, that, that pattern is, like, oh, I know exactly what color that is. And so, like, just kind of bouncing off of just, like, patterns talking to you throughout the movie. And then when they smack you with some color, it's like, yeah, that's exactly what I've... Yeah, okay, I got it. But the graffiti jumped out at me, too. Yeah. Uh, Just while we're talking about uh, things being sexy or not uh, that Spike Lee made, uh, I might make an argument that uh, Chirac is pretty sexy his retelling of lissa strata never saw it oh, uh, she falls over the crowd <laughs> ain't seen it okay so lissa strata is this greek play where this woman is like all right listen my husband um if you go to war fine oh chirac 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 okay um was like if you if you go to war, we're never gonna fuck again. Yeah. Like for for every day you're at war is a day that we're not gonna fuck when you get back. This war is bullshit. I heard that's what that movie was about, and I decided to do the hard pass. I, I, yeah, I tuned out. I just I I also hate the term of Chirac having friends and family in Chicago. Yeah, they don't even like they don't even call it Chirac there either, right? No, they don't. Yeah, they don't. They they're not they're not proud of it. But, uh, I, yeah, no, I, I passed on that one. Um, it was, I saw it, it came out when I was in a class about Greek classic plays. Yeah. So mm. my professor was like, we can, like, go see it and go out to dinner and the college will pay for it. And we were all like, yippee! So, like, <laughs> we went. And then my poor, lovely, very nice white philosophy professor was like, I don't know how to talk about this. <laughs> it's film man he's like that sure was a movie like that's it's so funny like when black people watch movies and the subject is not predominantly black people we typically don't have much of an issue with digesting the movie like if a black person watches sleepless in seattle like there's not really much of a thing we need to sort of process like we're just watching tom hanks and meg ryan fall in love tom hanks we're just going to put the n-word in it a lot and then but we're still going to come to the same conclusions as anybody else would about those films basically (laughs) but it's this kind of thing when like people watch black films they kind of have to do this thing where they have to metamorphosis they have to have some sort of metamorphosis to understand the movie when it's not that at all like it's 
it's not really but, that hard and, to get. And, and I think that's kind of one of the things that we're tackling. And a lot of things, one of the things that Spike tackles often is just this understanding and this, um, just the, the, the discourse that needs to be had, but also like, it's not very different, bro. Like, mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying? Like, just, just watch it. And it's the same thing as we talk about black history and American history. It's nothing different. It just happened uh, on a Tuesday and a black person did it. Like, don't worry about that. But because we've also been kind of conditioned to accept the zeitgeist the way it is um, and then also be over here on the side and make dolomite. And then you introduce Dolomite to, you know, the mainstream and it's like, what the fuck is this? It's like, it's it's like nothing. It's a story about a pimp. Watch it and see how you feel about it. You don't have to know everything about what's going on. Yeah. Uh, I just had one more point. um, Well, two, but super quick. Uh, All the dudes fighting until they start talking about sports. That shit was realistic (laughs) as fuck. That is something that dudes would do. And um, we're talking about sexy. Nola's stomach, when she was laughing at Mars' joke, like that shot of her stomach, I was like, am I into this? Is this... <laughs> is this what I, but just like, yeah, it's just, you know, it's, the stomachs are like what? the I don't know what they're ranked as far as sexiest part of the body, but they ain't number one or two. But when you know you, you you show somebody like Nola and just the stomach and just her laughing, and uh, that, that was that was kind of hot, you know, like to to me as far as like things that are like obviously supposed to be you know titillating versus like something that's just kind of sexy or just kind of mm. kind of cute. It just worked out. And my letterbox power rankings for Spike Lee films. Uh, she's got to have it definitely made the list of the top. I made basically like a top 15 list of Spike and I have she's got to have it at number six. So I think this is definitely one of the best things Spikes has ever given us. Uh, Kat, do you have any final thoughts for she's got to have before we before we pivot? It, it's good. Go watch it like straight up. I feel like most of the people I've talked to about it are like. Heard about it, saw they made a Netflix special about or Netflix series about it, like don't know anything about it. Fucking fucking it's it's on Netflix. Do right it. There. Do the thing. Especially if you're one of those people that likes to evangelize about alternative relationship styles. Yeah. Cause I get tired of you being like Polly is better and then you treating people like Nola treats her men. <laughs> Eric, do you wanna play a game before we pivot? Fuck Mary Kill. Yes. I mean. Yes, I do. Noah's well. Eric wants to play with uh, Mars, Greer, and Jamie. I'm trying I'm to play so with secure. everyone in the movie. I mean, I would. I mean, I I would have fucked. Ja- well, I would have married Jamie until he SVU'd, so he's out. I'm definitely not marrying Greer, and Mars is too fucking broke to marry, so. I don't know. I, let me think about it. So, Kat. Well, actually, you know, Eric, since, since this is your game we're playing, you sure. have the first dibs. So, who well, are you fucking, who are you marry, who are you killing? I mean, you know, Greer's hot, man. 
Grizz is sexy. Bitch, I mean, we man. saw him in the thong, you know. You he, know, he, he got the he got he the got tool. It, you know, man, fuck it, yeah. He got right. the goods. He's got it, love. All right, he can beat. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and just by the process of elimination, uh, see, I don't know, but Greer can pay for it. I would just be, I know I would be miserable with a person like Greer, like just like all the time. Yeah, yeah no, one you got a one night stand that hit it and quit it. So yeah, yeah um, and then uh, I guess by default because I won't get SVU'd hopefully, uh, Mars. Mars will marry Mars. Can't spell Mary without Mar. Um, <laughs> you can be and, broke. And then, yeah, and, and, or and you, uh, no support, right. no support right. system. <laughs> right. You know, but he, I feel like he would be a good like hype man or something for you at least. If you if you pulling down the money, it'll at least be appreciative. You know. Or, <laughs> or like he'll have like a he like Mars is the kind of dude to get rich off of like something real stupid. Like getting hit by like a taxi or some shit, and <laughs> <laughs> suing the city. <laughs> suing the shit out of the city, and then he just gets broken off, and then he flips it into like he he would do something like uh what was Tom Haverford in uh, uh, uh Parks and Rec, getting Rena hit swag. by Acuras. No, he would do a uh, rent a swag, where he just like rents out his own clothes to small children because he is small <laughs> enough to. Cause he was fresh like every day, so like he could rent out those clothes to kids. Yeah, Mars, we, we could work something out. Um, but I'm shooting Jamie in the back, and and I'm not, I'm not losing any sleep over it. I would, I'd probably take your list also. I would, I think, yeah, man. Like if you if you want the one night stand or the two night fan, you gotta go with Grill on that one. Like as soon as he as soon as he finishes, get kick him the fuck out. Mars, yeah, like, I mean, at least he would keep the fresh J's, so you know that's <laughs> that's a plus in my book, obviously. Um, Jamie, yeah, we gotta clap. We got we clapping, we clapping nice guys. We clapping guys who say they're nice guys when they're not nice guys. So we that's, clapping on the fools. That's so trash. Like, yeah, he was right there at the finish line, bro, and it was just like, you know what? I'm gonna do the rape. It was like, fam. No, like, bro. Okay, now may I suggest an alternative structure for this? Okay. I am going to absolutely mash up two categories here. Uh, I'm going to marry and then kill Greer. Oh, for the money? There you go. Yeah, yeah straight up. As, <laughs> as soon as that, as soon as that, uh, that uh, signature is dry on that certificate, baby, and that prenup is judged just so, he's going to die on a horrible boating accident on her honeymoon. Oh, yeah, I know, yes. right? Yeah. Jamie, just get the fuck out of my house. Like, I'm, I'm not. I ain't never done nothing like that before. I, uh, oh, I was your first. Thanks. I ain't never done nothing like that before, but you might again. So uh, don't get too comfortable, bud. Uh, I've got Greer money now. Watch the fuck out. Uh, and then in terms of Mars, yeah, Mars can hang out, I guess. Like, he, he yeah. rolled high enough in charisma that like we could, we could bang. It's fine. Um, oh, yeah, I know about you and your, your charismatic guys. Everyone knows about me and my charismatic guys. <laughs> oh, every yeah. every charismatic really guy crazy. within an hour drive of Boston knows about me and my charismatic guys. Hey. <laughs> it's like 
sound advice, or whatever. It's like comics, conventions, and cosplay, or whatever. It's like ladies' night, or whatever. It's like wrestling, or whatever. It's like parenting, or whatever. It's like anime, or whatever. It's like spiritual warfare, or whatever. It's like great friends, awesome people, coming around, doing what we do best, or whatever. You should watch, listen, and follow, or whatever. It's like a podcast, or whatever. Malcolm X. Oh, there we go. So, for full disclosure, Malcolm X is probably one of my favorite movies of all time. And when I say probably, I mean it's at least top three. And when I say at least top three, it's probably number two. <laughs> so, this is a movie, even Eric talking about like the era we came out of, like this is before Titanic, the two VHS era, mm-hmm. where, where it ended... The first tape ended when the Muslims marched on the police station, and then no one man should have no all that power. No one should have all that power. And then it, it's <laughs> it, it's it flashed on the screen. Insert tape number two. <laughs> like like I vividly remember the afternoon of watching that with my aunt and my mom together, yeah. and being rocked in like 1992, 1993 or whatever when we got it. There's a lot about this movie I totally adore. Field trip to the theater with school to watch it. And yeah, that was a day. That that was a day. Bro, I can't even imagine. <laughs> that was a day. And I, was, I think I was probably at one of the few schools that like actually kind of went in depth about who Malcolm X was. And yeah. um, you know, because so many of us were walking around wearing the shirts with him with the shotgun by the window. And, yeah. um, you know, it was like, OK, we got to at least tell these kids who this guy is and why he had a shotgun and how that's yeah. not all that there was to him around the Malcolm X mania that the uh, the film brought with it. That was, that was a hell of a time. In, in my blog, I wrote a little bit about Malcolm X, well, the movie, at least, and I wrote Denzel and Spike Lee collaborations have produced all great results, but Malcolm X is the apex of what both artists bring to the collective table. Denzel is everything you want him to be, slick, charismatic, electric, humbling, sullen, and strong. Also, Spike is everything you want him to be, stylistic, grandiose, provocative, caring, funny, and smart. Obviously, do the right thing is historically the greater i guess more lauded spike film and we'll get to that next but for me it's it's malcolm x for me it's always malcolm x and 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 just like how many odds it had to beat in order to get made yeah uh you know i was watching the um interview um the inside the actor studio where he is you know he's telling talking to james lipton about they were worried about the length obviously but there's no way to do this movie in an hour and a half yeah and there's no way to do this movie in two hours we i never felt like anything in this movie was a waste you had to understand the entire journey of malcolm x understand where he ended up and what he meant and where he was going and when we're talking about the budget well i think that i think at the end like in the end credits as uh as kat was talking about um we get to uh you know pill cosby and them 
Yeah. So he was talking about how he had to like, you know, like after a certain amount of filming, you know, Warner Brothers was just like, all right, everybody's done. We're fired. You don't have anything else to you can't do anything with else with this out of money. And so Spike was going around to um, he, he talks about it in his interview. He says uh, he went to Bill Cosby. He went to Oprah. He went to Magic. Then this is the funniest shit. He goes to Michael Jordan and told him how much Magic gave. <laughs> Just cause, yeah. You know, Michael Jordan is competitive at each and every single fucking thing. Um, Tracy Chapman, Janet Jackson, um, you know, get a crowdfunded. And, uh, you know, he, he let them know that there was like there was probably more than likely no chance that they were going to get a return on investment that uh, it was not going to be a tax write-off, that this was just mm-hmm. them putting money up to get this film made, and they were all fine with it. Yeah. Costume drama pieces are always expensive. Mm-hmm. Always. Yeah. Uh, and this one is such a grand scale of a story. You know, uh, it touches on at least three different decades. It has a lot of cars and vehicles and interiors, exteriors of very specific locales that, you know, people would be able to clock if they had messed up. And I think that it was really the attention to detail in things like costuming. But man, where did you get them goddamn vines you got on? And them shoes? Oh, my well, maybe we can do something about yeah, that. Yeah, but he's putting a hurting on my vision, man. Right, Damn. Relax. relax now. Those suits were beautiful. Yeah. Like, Those zoot suits, <laughs> man. Those zoot suits were amazing. And then even um, when, when um, Delray Lindo gives him the, the suit and the gun, it was like, wow. Yeah. Fly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it looks amazing, bro. And even even things like uh, using period accurate fabrics, so using like a, a poly wool blend on some of those suits, and you can't tell except in the scenes where like it's raining or someone gets water thrown on them or whatever, and you just can see the way that it pills on the shoulder, mm-hmm. which would be different if it was wool or whatever. I was like, okay, someone like sat down and was like, if we're making this, we're making this mm-hmm. right. And I'm sure some of that was thrifted. I'm sure some of that was custom made for the film. But, like, that's a level of detail that I feel like is in there so white people who watch a lot of period dramas can't go in <laughs> with their little their little nitpick knitter, like, you know, pickers and pick it apart. Exactly. And I was like, I kind of appreciated that. Bro, even, I mean, it sounds kind of silly saying, but, like, Denzel sacrificed his fucking skull for that movie. Like, if you if you watch yeah. any Denzel movie uh, before and after this movie, you can definitely see like the remnants of the conk. Like, yeah. his his hair got fucked up. Well, it wasn't just that. Like, dude went like damn near full method to do this um to do this role. Like, yeah. besides like you know it wasn't like an impression. He went in and was like, yo, I'm not going to eat pork. I'm reading the Quran. I'm learning Arabic. I'm doing all of these things to like to 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 better, um, you know, come off to, to better bring Malcolm to the screen because this shit is super important. And yeah. I can't just come out here and be Denzel with glasses, you know, uh, even the last scene in the movie of Malcolm getting assassinated, like. Spike even shot that last because 
Yeah. Like, there's no way you can, like, shoot that and then do another, like, week or two of filming. Like, mm-hmm. Angel, like the scene where the police are coming in, they're walking in, and, like, Angela Bassett, she stops crying, but she looks up and she looks, like, completely, like, drained and defeated. Spike actually called cut, and then he shot that. And so that made that scene. So, like, yeah. you can even tell from her face, like, everyone knew what the severity of this movie was. They, they fucking smoked this, bro. Like, everybody brought... Nobody nobody was dead weight in this movie, though. Like, it's like... And it's a lot of fucking people in here. What's my man who shows up in every Spike Lee movie? Like, every... every Spike Lee. <laughs> the, 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 other, the other gangster at the table um, when Denzel plays... Sammy, my man. Man, listen. That scene, bro, like, like I watched it and then just went back and just watched individual scenes and again. It was like, wow, bro. Like, Denzel is just so fucking captivating, dog. Like, this is yeah, it truly was animal magnetism and just to play two different characters, two completely different characters by the end of this movie, like that that went through so much. And I mean, shit is <laughs> actually three. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. You had like you had Detroit Red, and then you yeah, had yeah, you Malcolm go. Pre and Post. His pilgrimage. Yeah, and, um, and just so like, there's Denzel still there, but it's just like, nah, dude, something else is happening. And looking at a lot of the interviews, and Spike told the same story in every interview where he was talking about how Denzel was just kind of swept up in by like used as a vessel by Malcolm. Where he's saying, like, you know, he gives the, uh, I don't know if it was the Plymouth Rock speech or which one it was, but it was like, you know, he had like a full on speech from Malcolm that he did. And he kept going for like five minutes. It was like no more script. And he was just off the dome, you know what I'm saying? (laughs) And it was just like, you know, he didn't call cut. And then. Fuck, would you? you? (laughs) No, fuck no. But as he said, he was just like, you know, he's like, uh, all right. Like once he stopped, he's like, "D, none of that is in the script." He's like, "I don't know, man. Something else just happened. Something else just happened up here." Um, Like, like in the movie, they they the movie is definitely you know long, and then they kind of had to take I don't want to say shortcuts, but there were some things that didn't necessarily get extrapolated on, like how you know after Malcolm is an adult, like his family well his his brothers and sisters uh they're not like around in the movie anymore uh the bangs character isn't necessarily one individual it's like kind of like a composite of different people or whatever so you know they did kind of you know have to you know finagle some of the things in the movie whatever and so reading the autobiography of Malcolm X will definitely give you a pretty you know, good full sense of who he was, because there's like even way more stuff, like from his childhood that they, from his childhood and growing up, you know, being like a you know, hustle or whatever, that they don't necessarily touch on. That it's like really kind of wild to read about or whatever. But like I said, I've always you know been a big big fan of this movie. Cap throughout a long movie. I don't know if you ever seen this movie before, but you know during the movie and like leaving the movie, what were kind of your impressions of the film? So I had not seen it before. I had seen chunks of it, but I had never seen it all together. 
Um, it was very much one of those movies that by the time I got to school, it had kind of been dissected and incorporated into the lesson plan as like teaching tool, but not mm-hmm. as like, you know, I went to public school for most of my education. It wasn't like, oh man, we got to, we have to sit down and talk about this. It'll yeah. be on the MCAS. Uh, <laughs> you know, we didn't, that was not really what was happening. Uh, so I had seen the Plymouth Rock speech before. Uh, and I had seen a couple of the other kind of speeches basically out of context. Okay. Um, generally speaking, I am not a biopic person. Mm-hmm. Uh, like they, they really don't do it for me. But I was, I would say, very impressed with this one. Uh, first of all, for all those details I mentioned earlier. But every performance in this movie is excellent. And I mean, obviously, Denzel is kind of running away with it. But... There's a lot of beautiful subtlety in what Angela Bassett is doing, and there's man, a lot. Oh man, man, oh man. Yes, keep going, cat, keep going. Um, and even like uh, Al Freeman Jr., who played Elijah Muhammad, I thought was, I really loved the way that he like talked. I loved the way he moved. I loved how it all got slower as he got older, but the movements were the same. You I know, thought there was he a... was the honorable Elijah Muhammad. For when Bro, I did. <laughs> I got Elijah Muhammad in this movie. Oh, shit. <laughs> like, Bro, I, when I was a kid, I thought that Elijah too, Muhammad? yo. I really liked also the way that they did cover some of the basic principles of Islam without getting into it in a, I would say, like, dry way. So it was yeah. never like we got a presentation about it uh, in the middle of it. But it still kind of showed the aspects of it that were important for this particular conversation. And I thought that was really strong. Going back to even just like the supporting actors just a bit, like from a blog I wrote, after I wrote about Spike and Denzel, uh, not just limited to this uh, film's star attractions, Albert Hall as Baines was powerful and staring right up, up, right up until his unforeseen heel turn. Delroy Lindo's fierceness turned into vulnerability as Western and Yarching was touching, and Angela Bassett's warmth, candor, and hurt as Betty Shabazz was palpable. Yeah, so, yeah. Everyone, everyone brought to the table. Oh, dude, the scene with West Indian Archie where he like finds his apartment and like starts taking care. Like I was, yeah, like, that hurt my heart. Mm-hmm. That is such a a scene of like I mean, obviously, you know, West Indian Archie, questionable if he was a good guy. Seems like no, uh, <laughs> but like that shit sucks. Yeah. And, like, seeing that just, like, he he fell so far and Malcolm was like, of course, I'll help you with your arm exercises. Like, let's get your feet elevated. Like, let's get you comfortable. Like, it was so, it I don't was, know. It was, it it was, was a, really It's a very touchy. human thing. It is a very I, human thing to have, like, sympathy or empathy for somebody who may or may not deserve it. I think I always have <laughs> soft spots for caretaking scenes, uh, mm-hmm. good caretaking scenes. Uh, because a lot of my my time growing up was spent knowing that's what my parents were doing. Yeah. Or seeing my parents do that. You know, so for, for me, whenever a scene kind of is able to represent that as not only, like, obviously the, the thing to do in that moment, but also as, like, this kind of ugly, kind of shitty, kind of horrible thing that you don't want to have to do while still presenting it as, as the right and honorable thing without making it heroic... Yeah, you know it's such a web of things. 
I'm always an easy mark for movies that can get that many emotions in a small moment correct. And this it, and this movie is full of moments like that. Yeah, even going back to Eric saying that there's not really a wasted scene, like even just the stuff with his father, like seeing how he was a man that was a preacher and even preaching, you know, pan-Africanism back then to pivoting to, you know, Malcolm, you know, almost doing the same thing during his time. Like, even seeing the stuff with his dad, like, that's not a waste at all. Like, you yeah. see specifically how the degradation of black families plays out in America. Like, this is a person who was of the cloth and he was taken out by the clan members. Mm-hmm. And when he was murdered... He couldn't get insurance because the insurance companies, you know, they kept with the ruling of a suicide. A suicide, so bro. It, that completely destroyed his mother's sanity and their completely fa- their complete family structure. So, like, and also when Michael was a kid, you see him in a school system where it's like he's obviously the smartest, one of the smartest kids in his classroom. He's bright. People like him. The kids like him at least. And he's talking to him like. He's not, like the teacher's talking to him like he's nothing. So you see specifically all these different examples of how America really tries to destroy black people. Mm-hmm. And it's all it's all like really jarring, like from every aspect of it, from the childhood to adulthood. Like mm-hmm. it's it's all there. Like nothing in this movie feels inauthentic. And that scene is so hard to watch. Yeah. Generally speaking, I, I whenever there's an old-timey school setting and there's one student and the teacher, I clench up a little bit, regardless. <laughs> that might be my own projection. I don't know. But, uh, oh, no. <laughs> no, it's not you. It's, it's not just you. Yeah, it's pretty accurate. What, what can happen when it's just you and the teacher one-on-one can be devastating, and that can be the thing that derails your entire academic career and can derail your entire life. Yeah. Like a, a big thing just came out in the last couple of weeks where students in the school district where I went up through middle school came out and said, well, teachers did this to me. Mm-hmm. And like, fuck. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. You know, and some of these kids are kids I've known and been friends with since we were like literal infants. Those scenes suck because they still happen. The language yeah. just changed. Yeah, basically. I can also speak to this rural area of uh, Michigan um, toward like the uh, Lansing. Um, I want to say Howell is probably where that was a, a, around about. Um, still like that. So yeah, don't go to Howell, Michigan. Uh, if you're listening to this, um, you're on your way to uh, East Lansing, going to Michigan State for whatever reason. Don't stop for gas in Howell. Uh, Eric, any final thoughts about Malcolm X before we before we wrap it up and get to the mother of all mothers? Um, I just want to shout out the double dolly shot. We would be remiss if we didn't mention this, the uh, Sam Cooke uh, change going to come at the very end.
And I remember that just sitting real heavy in my soul after, again, on that field trip. Where we are just like... A change gonna come. Oh, yes it will. We all knew what was gonna happen, but I mean, you tell somebody how it's, you know, you tell the kids what is going to happen, and you know, you you see it, you know, portrayed, and it's just like, yeah, well, I'm gonna go home and be um, shaken by this. But the the double dolly shot is um, is such a Spike Lee staple. Yeah. The, the the where the the camera is you know positioned under the actor. And then they're both on a dolly and they're just moved. And so <clears throat> it looks like the actor is floating. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. That was like the only way that could have been done. Like everything leading up to that final scene, we're talking about Angela Bassett just killing it. And then, you know, the old lady stops him on the street. And that's perfect. Um, just, just everything about leading into that final thing and just like that sense of dread that you feel. And. You know, and and it happens, and change will come. <sighs> yeah. You know, what I mean? it's like. Yeah. That's if you need to take a break, man. <laughs> listen, if you get, I know a lot of people like listen to this pod, and then they go and watch movies that they that they haven't seen before. I know I do. If you if you're listening and you want to tackle Malcolm X, especially in these times that we're dealing in, not that these times have ever gone away, but. The, with the light being shown on everything and you, you listen to, to Malcolm, you listen to his real speeches, you listen to um, the speech before cult of personality. <laughs> it's all there. Like he's all, he's said all this stuff already. And so, you know, it's fine. No judgment. Here's your late pass. But I'm just letting you know at the end, you know, the end is coming and it's, it's heavy. So, you know, mm. beware. It hurt. And it sucked, and it was really hard to watch. And it's, it was first of all the music choices across all of these movies I think are incredibly strong. Yeah, I was gonna but, say that Spike's talent for music is great. Yeah. Yeah, and I really felt it in this movie uh, because they don't often use any kind of time cards or anything to show passage of time. They just change the cuts of the suits yeah. and the music yeah. that's playing. Yeah. And when I realized, oh, that would make it, oh, that would make it this year, oh, oh, here it comes. Yeah. Like, even even if you kind of pre-flinch, it doesn't prepare you for it. Mm-hmm. I would also say that I saw, I think it was on the subreddit for just, like, r slash films, that if you don't want to sit down and watch a three-hour, 21-minute movie, uh, they divided it up into, like, a mini-series of, like episodes uh, and I, mean, I don't they, know i don't know if you would get the same effect from that but if you've yeah, seen it once no. before and you want to do it this way that might i don't want to say help but it might make it a little bit easier to commit to it than trying to clear out a three let's be honest let's say a four hour block because you need some recovery time for it and assume yeah. you're going to pause to pee at least once a four hour watching block yeah because I, I was talking to a lot of people about it, and they're like, oh, well, we'll watch Do the Right Thing, and uh, she's got to have it. But, like, Uncle Max, it's, like, four hours long. And I'm like, motherfuckers, this might be the single best movie that came out of the 1990s. What the fuck it's are you... It's up there. Like, it's yeah. definitely up there. My, my friend Anders, who I can unironically credit with getting me into movies in the way that I am into movies, 
was like, I think that this is the best movie of the 1990s. Like, yeah. easily the best kind of movie that it seemed like everyone had just, seen. Just chewing scenery like pizza. Everybody's just sharing and Mm-hmm. Bro, think about think about how he opens the movie with the um with Roseland, the Roseland ballroom and that yeah. big ass beautiful dance scene. The music's going, mm-hmm. it's a fun ass time, and then we end it at the Autobahn ballroom. Get your hand out of my pocket! And we're we're we're, we're eons. We're like light years out of that universe. Like that's world building. Like that's understanding how to build structure and story. Spike Lee totally did that shit, man. Did mm-hmm. I've I've always felt though that Spike Lee has done his research. Oh yeah. You know, a, in everything. Uh, he's a great he makes great documentaries. Uh shout out to Four Little Girls and When the Levees Broke. Those are excellent mm. documentaries to watch. I, I absolutely feel like in a similar way to, even if it doesn't manifest the same way, but the way that I say that Wes Anderson, I feel like he's got hundreds of hundreds of notebooks yeah. of notes mm-hmm. and ideas and a mood board that's probably 20 feet long and whatever. I, I feel very much that Spike Lee probably has a similar depth of, of love and research for each character. Because, like, even the daughters who don't talk and who are barely part of this actual story have mannerisms, have characters, have little things that you can see and how they set each other apart. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yep. Like, the way that each one held a doll, the doll, as they when they were, you know, doll-carrying age, uh, each one carried their doll from a different limb. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. When, so when I made my 100 best black films of the 90s obviously malcolm x was the best movie of 1992 of the 10 movies that i have uh in this top 10 list of the 90s i mean i think boys in the hood is another movie that for the culture and just like pop culture in a sense that was more of like a technically a big deal but i i would not I wouldn't necessarily put Boys in the Hood over Malcolm X. Um, I would say documentaries like Paris is Burning. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, you know, that's a really important movie. Hoop Dreams. I, I legit think before O.J. Made in America, Hoop Dreams is probably like the greatest American documentary like made. Like mm-hmm. not even just sports documentary, overall documentary. I mean, the only if the only thing is competing with other documentaries, then it's 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 in the class all by itself. Yeah. So mm-hmm. it was definitely one of the best movies of the nineties. Is it uh Denzel Apex Mountain? Denzel Apex Mountain. So let's actually look at that because I mean nineties Denzel it's kinda like eighties Denzel had to do basically kind of bullshit movies. Everything. <laughs> but then Listen. In, <laughs> until he got to glory until he got to glory oh, yeah, in 89 yeah. he could only get work doing bullshit but uh, he what did he do um for queen and country where he has the uh british accent Hold on, yeah oh, oh no oh yeah man <laughs> yeah i mean because 92 i think 
is probably the apex of his power. Well, oh, 92 probably is because, so, okay, 1990, we have Mo Better Blues, then 91, Mississippi um, Masala, then 91, the classic action movie Ricochet. <laughs> but but 92, here's where we go. So 92 is Malcolm X. 93 is Pelican Brief and Philadelphia. Ooh. 95 is Crimson Tide. And, you know, Virtuosity, which, you know, we'll, we'll get out of pass for now. <laughs> but, hey, man, that's an enjoyable film. It is. I'm it back is in a fucking box. <laughs> 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 oh, man. But, yeah, this, like, 92 to 93, like, that is Apex Denzel, I would say. Yeah, I can't uh, I can't disagree because um, you know he obviously should have gotten the Oscar this year. You know, Malcolm X was the boogeyman at this time. <laughs> well, <laughs> like, yeah, well, man. And the Academy especially, so um, it would have definitely been like giving Freddy Krueger uh, an Oscar. Um, yeah. Uh, but yeah, we all know he's the uncrowned king at that point in time, and Trainer Day was a makeup call. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. But damn, man. Yeah, I, I would have to agree. He, he, he smoked that shit. And because again, it's like it, this was a this was a time where he had to play three different characters, like in mm-hmm. one movie. It's like make it stick. My daddy's podcast is called Hyphenation. It's the world's greatest podcast. Walk up. Well, proof. On Hyphenation, my daddy talks about all kinds of cool things. And sometimes I'm on the podcast too. Sometimes he has his friend Marcus on. Sometimes he stays up really late and he's tired the next day. But it's worth it. But he loves his podcast and I love his podcast. So I really want you to listen to Hyphenation so daddy doesn't get sad. He really doesn't get sad though because he has me. Oh wait, please listen to Hyphenation. Y'all, I love the podcast, so please, please, please try to join. But if you know it. Perfect. Thank you. Can we hear it now? Let's pivot to Spike Lee's 1989 classic, Do the Right Thing. Yes. Now, Eric, when did you first watch this movie? Because I, I didn't... I'm not going to lie, man. I didn't watch this movie until all the way through. I, shit, I don't think I watched this movie all the way through until like either middle school or high school. It took a minute for me to actually get this movie, man. Uh, I was a child, and my eyes were covered for half the film. <laughs> uh, I don't know what she thought Do the Right Thing was going to be. I don't know. <laughs> she thought like, you know. A movie was, about doing the right thing. Right, clearly. Yeah. Apparently, you know, she's got to have it was about money. Do the right thing was about, you know, doing the right thing. So, yeah, um, to to get the full effect and for like half the movie, whether or not I was watching it or able to see what was happening, so much of it was going over my head. So, yeah, I, I hit high school age around that. Time. It was like a, a, a good little chunk where I was watching stuff like uh, school days and, um, you know, I was getting ready to go to um gearing up for college so i was watching school days watching you know do the right thing that kind of stuff so yeah i would say about high school age so for me oh dear god here's the obligatory uh mention of um the difference between my age and cats um yeah it was about 97 
I uh, went through and watched it. So, yeah, you were, were you graduate high school? 99. Woo! Cat, you were zero. And then. Yeah, you saw it for the first time the year I was born. Zero. Lordy Lord. So, yeah. Um, yeah, that's, what, that's where I was at. And, and, and even then, there was still like some stuff I had to go back and watch. Um, maybe you want to say four or five years ago when I watched it with the wife that I did not get yet. Mm-hmm. So I graduated high school in 04. So for full disclosure. So just kind of show the difference between me and Eric's age. And to make Catherine feel like the youngest <laughs> Muppet on Sesame the Street. Baby. Jesus Christ. She's oh, a baby. And uh, for those of you asking, I turned 23 uh, in early July. And yes, I do have an Amazon wish list. <laughs> Fire up that Venmo, man. I saw Do the Right Thing for the first time uh, when I was a junior in high school. My uh, poetry teacher, who was a four foot seven uh, Jewish man named Mr. Lippman, who used to follow students around in the hallway and yell, You're going to hell until they wrote good poetry. Bro, that's only like an awesome ass teacher, yo. Decided to uh, make our, our double period a Y'all gonna hush up and watch Do the Right Thing. I like uh, this guy already. Because yeah. <laughs> a lot of y'all are white. And at least I, two of you have, A lot of y'all are white. And uh, maybe two of you have shown any empathy in your poetry at all. Ooh, I like this fucking guy. God damn. Oh, yeah. Matt, Matt Littman is great. And uh, in my show notes on Facebook, I'll be sure to include a link to his poetry because his poetry is great, too. But he he sat down and he said, we're going to watch a movie and it's probably going to upset a lot of you, but y- y'all deserve to be upset if Fuck it upsets it. you. Fuck it, it's a movie and it's not your real life. You pamper uh, pieces of shit. <laughs> and, uh... Fuck the babies. <laughs> Somebody's real life. Deal with it. Hit play, I mean, goddammit. Pre- pretty much, except, like, slightly nicer because he had to keep his job. Uh, but only slightly. And uh, showed us the whole movie, and then the next year I showed it to a few of my friends who were not in that class. But yeah, watching watching it with a class full of like the whitest of white privilege folks. Mm-hmm. Oh wait, I can't say that. Facebook will ban me. Uh, the blanco est uh, of the the glow in the dark white folks. Um, the alabaster white. Yes, yeah. the people of no color. <laughs> was uncomfy and uh especially because it seemed like a couple of them initially before he like really kind of broke out as as an asshole uh in his own special way seemed uh super into pino and i was like no as an as an italian emphatically empathically no (laughs) He's going to get arrested for beating his wife someday. Jesus. Jesus. Am I wrong? (laughs) I've been reading, see? You can read. I've been reading, see? And the women folk. That's dangerous. Very dangerous. That is dangerous. They'll burn you at the stake. So, yeah, um... This is a great movie to watch in school on a Tuesday at 8 in the morning. That sounds amazing. That does, man. I had to catch this on some random 
25th anniversary type shit. You want to <laughs> you want to fire up some Rosie Perez first thing of this you know it's the opening scene public Which, enemy yes and, and Rosie Perez working it yeah damn it uh, sign me up sign me sign me up um, we we uh we always my, my brother and I we we would run around and um you know we've been taking poll uh, a poll on this one Rosie Perez at the beginning of uh of this film or Big Les at the beginning of Living Single, the Living Single intro. Ooh, who, it's, it's who something was about that working silhouette, it? Man. Who was working it? It's something about the silhouette, man. I mean, Rosie was raw, like yeah, just I, raw. I don't think like neither of us have like taken a side. We just we're interested in the data. <laughs> we're just like, oh, right thing. Neither of us have taken a side, but yeah, I, I, I guess I'll probably, after all these years, will lean, probably lean toward Rosie. Keep your head up, whoa, keep your head up, that's right. Where you going? Where else you going to get this time? So, Eric, so you obviously saw it, I mean, kind of at a pivotal moment, like you saw it in the mid-90s, well, toward the late 90s and transitioning into college life can i talk a little bit about that that sort of feeling you were getting like watching the movie then versus kind of what it is now um well i mean also like you know having you know been familiar with it even if i didn't understand it completely i guess like the new understanding of just like well for one just feeling like the actual the heat that they keep describing being like a silent character mm-hmm. and just, just like being such a thing that like you know the things that happen but then you you add to it that it's hot as fuck outside that they like keep getting that point across to you is like you know we have a term you know uh, when it's that hot where you call it inward season where <laughs> it, it sucks but it's like dog people lose their fucking minds when it's that hot outside you know, also, like, just how wet people are. Just how wet everything was. And the first visceral thing to me is just, like, the temperature that this movie puts you and how uncomfortable just that it just is supposed to make you. Like, you can already see, like, the inside oh. of the, like, the cooler is condensating. Yeah, like, it's just yeah. sticky and gross. <sighs> and so it's like, you put, I'm put in a mindset of, okay, fucking, I'm, I'm irritated already and then um besides teachers i had not on a large scale dealt with any you know white people for that matter uh, like my first watch through or my first couple of watch throughs either and um you know in detroit like our stores are tip are primarily run um by arabic and chaldeans and so uh they own like all of the liquor stores all of the you know, pizza shops and that sort of thing. If they're not, you know, black or Chaldean or Arabic, you typically won't run into that kind of thing. So that had its own specific dynamic. And so for me, this was still kind of a learning thing where it was just like, I don't really deal with a whole lot of white people directly like this, like somebody being in their neighborhood that they can walk to at any point in time and see, you know, mm-hmm. I had like my teachers, sure, but they had to act a certain way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 
That's kind of how, like, growing up in D.C. was, like, when I still, when me and my mom and my dad lived together in southeast D.C. and Anacostia, like, that was all black. Like, it was not a lot of white people there, like, at all. Which is different now, because D.C.'s, like, a lot of the hoods are trying to get gentrified or whatever. But whenever we move... Stop playing that go-go music. It's really (laughs) bothering me. Basically. Um, Whenever we moved to suburban Maryland, that's actually when... I actually started seeing, like, young white people and, like, you know, white teachers and white people just out and about. Like, the hood that I live in, it was still primarily black and kind of, like, an increasing, like, Hispanic population. But I didn't really interact with white people really until, on a regular basis, until, like, like the fifth grade or something like that. Um, Shit, college for me, bro. Oh, literally, like literally predominantly college. white. I didn't predominantly yeah. white. That was college boy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, that college was a fucking trip, man. I definitely agree with what Eric was saying about the heat being such a character and like such a presence. Yeah, it's in every scene, and it it definitely to me like as it gets darker and darker, like as the as the day kind of rhymes to an end, it is literally getting darker and darker. Because sometimes it doesn't cool down right away when it gets dark. And that heat and that humidity and all that gross kind of lingers. And that is exacerbating all these other things that are already rustled up from the day. You know, so Sal, who seems, I would say, the least bad of the three white guys in this movie, ends up, like, getting really, really aggressive, but, like, in the way that well, I was going to say your dad, but I didn't want to, like, get into a joke about that. Um, That's fine. We, we only your, make it your, your Boy Scout leader uh, might get, uh, if you guys have been hiking all day and one little thing went wrong and it totally blew up all that goodwill that he had earned, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that one outburst just caused, like, all the fireworks in the arsenal to go off. I would say Vito... Of the of the Italian trio, I would say right. he's probably the best one. I think it's it's kind of weird saying he's ignorant because he's not racist, but he just seems the most innocent of like he's like one of the most innocent people in this movie, other than Smiles. Or I mean, Smiley. yeah. I also though the scene where guy, Pino and Sal sit down and Sal's like, they grew up on my food. Like I'm proud of that. I'm proud of them. You know, he tries to get Pino to leave Smiley alone. He gives him a couple dollars and says, like, give your art to somebody who really will love it, you know, on me. And it's like, he at least knows the community a little bit. Mm -hmm. Like, he's made an effort. Whether or not that's enough, your mileage may vary. But, like, I do get the sense that he sees them at least as, as customers, as good people, and as people, which Pino doesn't. Yeah. And and Vito kind of exists in this weird middle role because he kind of tells Moogie like, hey, stay out of my business, but also kind of knows that he's right. Yeah. But also, you know, because he can't stand up for himself at all. Yeah. It, it puts him in that really unfortunate position. It's like when whenever people say you really can't be kind of neutral when talking about like race or like you can't be neutral against racism. So like Vito is a guy who you can tell he's not necessarily racist, but he doesn't really make an effort to stand up 
against his racist brother. Like, his racist brother basically kind of runs over him. He doesn't even make an effort to stand up for himself against yeah. the brother. Like that, And that's not even a race issue. That's just a, I'm big, you're small, I'm smart, you're dumb. Yeah. Just morally, like, that's not even, like, a, a consideration for Vito in that moment. It should... Literally, Mookie is right. If he just smacked him upside the head one time, it probably <laughs> wouldn't happen anymore. Yeah, definitely. And I've seen a lot of families where that happens, and I hate that shit. It makes my skin crawl. My cousin Mark and I would always hang out in the garage when the Italian cousins started getting like that and <laughs> pretend that people couldn't <laughs> see us chain smoking together. That sounds super stressful. Well, at one point, like... Sal says, like, I'm going to rename the joint, like, Sal and Sons, because you guys are going to take it over, and, like, da-da-da-da, and besides, I love you. Yeah. And, like, that is the most, like, (laughs) like, (laughs) that's how that emotionality is expressed. Yeah, 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 this dudes have a hard time just fucking saying what we need to say to each other, and now, you know, we've had this hopeful renaissance of, like, Hey, the world went to shit, and um, hopefully, you know, we can express to one another that we care about each other um, without it being a thing. And you know, I'm not gay. Uh, you know, just emotional. <laughs> well, I think that's part of the reason why I always try to tell my male friends that I love them, because I think if they, if if for lack of a better term, I can kind of Trojan horse them into saying that mm-hmm. then they yeah. realize like oh oh yeah you know and there's there's a lot of things in this movie where if people were just better at communicating like their feelings mm-hmm. things would have been yeah. different but they're not and they're hot so their tempers are short anyway and mm-hmm. you know the thing that i love so much about the movie with the exception of maybe smiley and mm-hmm. a little bit veto no one is innocent. Yeah. There, yeah. It, it is just a comedy of errors that leads to what ends up happening. And to hear the the older guys on the street corner talk about the Koreans, the, and the Koreans talk differently about someone else, and, you know, like, whatever, right? You kind of mm-hmm. see that everybody's got their own prejudice and everybody's yeah, trying to survive. a little bit racist sometimes. <laughs> Doesn't mean you go around committing... Hate hey, crimes. Crimes. Uh, Jesus. <laughs> but like in this case, it it just turns into this whole blow up, mm-hmm. and everyone is kind of airing their own anger in this, you know, about kind of different things. Because if you notice, Mookie throws the trash can in the window and then sits yeah. down across the street. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. he's like, cool, like, that that exactly encapsulated how angry I am that Sal didn't pay me tonight. And that's it. Yeah, he's like, that, that, that's it, that's all I got. Well, the, that and the scene where, um, you know, everybody just starts to blurt out all their racial slurs and that, that whole thing of that Spike Lee trope of, wait, is this, 
are they really saying this, or is this just a part? Dagawab, Ganey, garlic wait, bread, is pizza slinger, spaghetti bin, Victimon, right Perry Como, Luciano Pavarotti, solo meal, non singer motherfucker. And, uh, you know, so it's kind of hard to figure out whether or not that's supposed to, like, actually be movie canon, quote-unquote, or if it's like, you know, just something that they all wish that they could just say to one another. Take your fucking pizza, pizza, and go the fuck back to Africa. Yeah, I think it's something that Spike is trying to, like, it's all kind of like a, a active volcano where it's all these things that are high dangers like below the surface that are kind of just like Mm -hmm. brewing in everyone and so even when they're saying it to the camera and technically it's kind of to the audience they're not saying like the the mega racist things that like everyone else like they're doing like a lot of passive things like even when you know the three black men are talking about the koreans across the street like some of it you know is kind of prejudiced against them but they're not necessarily kind of doing it like in their faces. They're they're keeping like kind of like internal to their own circle or whatever. Every now and then, obviously, you know, uh, Pino and even Radio Rahim when he's like talking to the Korean store owners in like very derogatory ways. Like for the most part, it's all kind of like this internalized like hate that these people kind of have against each other. Mm-hmm. Was there, Eric, whenever you watch this movie, was there anyone, any particular character that you kind of identified with? Because for me, like, when I watch this movie, I think mostly I would have to identify with Radio just because he was just like a large, he was a large black man that just liked Definitely. calling me. Like, that's, mm-hmm. and, you know, in the end, you know, his size and his skin color. It was going to wind up him getting killed, you know, by the police. That is but, my number one fear. Um, yeah. Just based on, you know, like I'm a physically imposing dude, but it's like I definitely would be, you know, if I was around in those times or at that age at, in those times, I would be the guy walking up and down the street with a boombox. I would be the guy with the love and hate rings on. And, um, you know, I, I, would, I would stop and, and kick it with people. And I, I worry all the time that any any kind of um, run-in or interaction that I have with police could be my last interaction, you know? And so it's just yeah. like, just based on how I look. And it doesn't necessarily, I mean, we see that, you know, from small to tall, it, it isn't, you know, there isn't a height or, or requirement or whatever, but I do feel like if push came to shove or not, you know, my just my sheer size or whatever, like, would be threatening you know make them feel like okay we need five guys to tackle him or we need you know what i mean just if you sat there and you thought about or like just the aftermath of radio's murder you know could have easily been avoided it's the same story over and over again and like i'm so fearful that my story could end that way just like like dog it could be on my way to i'm on my way to pot you know what i mean and i'm being Mm -hmm. you know i could be treated like a criminal and then i don't make it and it's just like that's scary, dude. <laughs> like, you know. Yeah. So unfortunately, yeah, that's who I really relate to. I would love to say Ozzy Davis, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and, just, and just being an acute couple with uh, with Ruby D. But I mean, as, I think you know, that I, might be me. That's so you may be Ruby D. I no, I think I might be uh, Ozzy Davis, the endearing <laughs> drunk man. <laughs> so that said, funny. a thing that I've been really enjoying is uh. 
as as my dad has been learning a lot about kind of the the issues that continue to plague the black community in a lot of ways he's he's uh come out with a couple of i think absolutely wonderful hot takes about uh white privilege and other such things okay and uh when radio threw sal across the floor (laughs) dad was like yeah you fucked up his radio (laughs) 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 like he the the kind of idea that like the the police were called and this was an issue was he is like right like that man destroyed his property like everybody was wrong and like Mm -hmm. it was like yeah well uh this was made in 1989 and you know it's still a problem Mm -hmm. yeah i didn't even have to really lay it out like that but like it's still so fucking relevant. Yeah. yeah. And it came out in 1989? Yeah, man. That's that's the power of Spike, man. <laughs> like, he made this kind of timeless story that I one day hope becomes obsolete. It becomes just a <laughs> but, history lesson. I would love that. Yeah. Like, I would love, like... Eric's kids one day to be like, wow, shit was wild back then. Mm-hmm. Glad it's not this way no more. I saw how it ended, just like my dad saw the uh, the the uprising of Instant Messenger. <laughs> was, Basically, yeah, that would be great. Oh, man, like even the because like they even make overtures to other you know uh, police murders and not even just police murders like racially motivated murders that were happening in new york city at the time uh that happened a little bit before do the right thing was made and you know we're still facing these same issues today spike's movie which i do think even after do the right thing i do think they there maybe like a handful of other movies that kind of talk about kind of you know racial discrimination uh, with a little bit more finesse, like a movie like last year's Loose, spelled oh L U C E, that tried to actually co- try to tackle race in a very complicated kind of way, which I think is actually pretty significant in the story we're trying to tell. And kind of a thing with Spike, a kind of a criticism with Spike is how there's just times when he's kind of you know, I'll be frank, like ham handed or whatever. Yeah, heavy handed. So yeah. But I do think, you know, I do think sometimes you kind of just need like, just like a thunder strike to the dome of like, yeah. yo, this is the issue. Like this is what people in this environment are living like, and you need to see this so you can know like this should not be how it is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, like there's literally no reason for sal to take it back to someone's radio and then call them the n-word like this mm-hmm. there's no reason for that there's no reason for police to choke anyone like there's, there's no reason for any of it And you know, the the riot did happen and it burned down the pizzeria, but that was really just like a manifestation of all these different things leading up to this boiling point moment. It would have been avoided if all these other things would not have been so racially charged to begin with. 
Um, and then a movie called Do the Right Thing. <laughs> like, who actually does the right thing? Like, because yeah. I, I can't call it. But I don't think he's really trying to show us, like, anyone did the right thing. But we can at least use it as an example of how, you know, how far we have to go in this struggle for, like, racial equality in America. I think Do the Right Thing is a message to us. Like, mm-hmm. for, you know, like, they're showing how everything, again, we're talking about, like, as Kat put it, this comedy of errors. It's like, nobody got it right. And yeah. we're, we're looking at a situation where there's so many points where somebody could have just said, all right, well, hold up, you know. And do, that would be the right thing, is to just, just say, hold up for a second. And then yeah. have this diatribe or, you know, whatever that we've been trying to have for all these, every time you know, somebody is murdered by the police, <laughs> apparently doing the right thing is not calling the police. Like, that's, you can start there and it's just <laughs> iron it out. Like, <laughs> it was like, if, if there's a takeaway I could give you folks, uh, nothing good ever comes from calling the police. I don't know. I mean, <laughs> I, I, was, I was just trying to think, though, like, what is uh, the mayor always doing? You know, what is he doing when he even tells Mookie to do the right thing? And he's talking to people. Yeah. He always talks to people. And this might be my, my you know, English major, you know, well, every everything's got to be connected brain. It's all of our English major. But there's, there's definitely part of me that's like, when he's telling Mookie to do the right thing, he's telling him to talk to people and to listen. Yeah. You know, not to make it about whatever the thing is, you know, but to, to make it a, a conversation. Because that's what he was doing. Boop. Come in, doctor. Hey, I gotta go. I'm working. I'm, I'm working. Doctor. I'm working. Doctor. This is the mayor talking. All right, all right. Doctor. Come on, what, what? Always do the right thing. That's it? That's it. I got it. I'm gone. Shit, is Mayor the only one that does the right thing? I think so, yeah, he's up there. I think um, Mother Sister tries because she discourages the fight and she is still so traumatized by it that she's screaming no after everything that happened. If you look at the initial kind of scene of the crowd, you can see her in the back and you can see her shrieking no the whole time. And I think, you know, maybe it's just the wisdom thing, but she's, she's... she knows what's coming. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, she, she knows what's going to happen if they don't calm it down, if they aren't able to, to, you know, whatever. She knows. She's seen it a thousand times, maybe. Even though she's just one woman, she can't stop this kind of bottle rocket that's been shaken all day and maybe longer. She does, I think, at least try. To kind of wrap it up on Do the Right Thing. What kind, what do we think about the Mookie character? I don't know Mookie don't blame his girlfriend slash baby mama for just yelling at him constantly. <laughs> like, you get with Rosie Perez for her to yell at you constantly. That's that's the draw. That's if you want somebody yelling at you constantly is Rosie Perez. She's, but even then, like he's not portrayed as great. Like, there's a scene where he's like, it's fucking bad enough my kid's named Hector. And I was like, whoa. (laughs) English. All that bullshit. Yeah. Yeah. And and again, we're talking, when we talk about all these flawed characters and they're flawed on purpose, 
mm-hmm. because you know we keep talking about these all these errors. Is the errors come from flawed people too? So yeah, this like Mookie being a delivery person. Uh, here's here comes my English major. You have to be outgoing and you have to go like you literally. It's your job to be outgoing and to bring somebody something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like. And so, you know, he's given all these these clues to, to go and communicate because there's one person that's talking to and he's like the go between this spot south, mm-hmm. okay, and to deliver into the neighborhood where everybody else lives, like um everybody lives in this hood. Sal's is kind of like the stand-in for like I don't want to say white supremacy, but just like anytime that you have an institution that's run by somebody that's completely different from everybody else, but I mean, they've been there so long. Yeah. It's certainly kind of a stand-in for that gentrification. Exactly. That now, it, like, you know, I... It's like, I, I've been here all this time, though. So it's like, right. yeah, we, we like, can still have love for Sal in that, in that situation. I've got friends and family who now live in that exact neighborhood of Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know what is where Sal's is approximately it's technically across the street so it would be where that korean uh bodega is mm. but uh it's an artisanal donut shop jesus gross and listen they make good donuts you know in in 1989 this is the place where people are barely holding on to live and now it's will the next williamsburg and if you want a donut it's three dollars yeah that's about right the um and and just the wall again this is like the history that sal's represented it wasn't necessarily like a problematic history either like you know it was like things that you could point to that that sal was proud of again like the um they're saying you know like people grew up on my food you know that i i don't have any reason to la uh to to not believe that he had that pride you know like that it wasn't sincere it's just like again, this this powder keg we keep talking about, where just cooler heads just did not prevail. Yeah, and that's how these situations have been playing out too with these cops. You know, now and forever. Like it is like so many things. When we talk about um, the young man who was just murdered. You know, he, he was sitting there in a parking lot and he was talking to the police for what 30, 30 some odd minutes. Like yeah, Rayshard Brooks. He was sitting there talking to the, the cops in the, in the Wendy's parking lot. Like. There's no excuse for anybody being like, he ran off. Like, great. So that means he's not attacking. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, you talk to the man, and so now you put out a warrant for his arrest. Okay? You don't shoot him in the back a bunch of times. And so, yeah. it's, the, again, the, the, just the cooler heads not being able to prevail is just like this, this bummer of a theme. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I think the only difference from 1989 to 2020 is, I think, even from the perspective of the mayor and from Ruby D's character, I think now we're kind of at a point where we really reached an area where there's kind of, there's no more gray. Mm-hmm. Maybe there never was gray, but now we're really getting to the point of telling people, like, there's no gray, like... Either you're going to be racist or not. Like, either you're going to be I was committed to solving this or not. How is this still a debate? 
<laughs> I mean, and that's the thing. <laughs> that's the thing. Like, 31 years later, like, how is this still a debate? But unfortunately, it still is. I think do the right thing is trying to admit something innately in all of American citizens. But looking at it in the context of 2020, it's like internal internal prejudice between races can exist. But now we're kind of at a moment of we really need to leave all this bullshit behind. Mm-hmm. And now we need to be focusing on how are we going to make a better now and a better future. Nailed it. Is that the dismount? That might be the dismount. Okay, that might be the dismount. Dominic Dawes. Fuck yeah, man. And that Prince song. What was that Prince video she was in, man? Fucking, oh my god. It was was like Beautiful Girl in the World or some shit. Man, listen. Dominic Dawes can be whatever. Learning more about Prince. Hey. Oh, if we were to watch Girl 6, that movie is the entire... It's like nothing but Prince music, the entire soundtrack. Speaking I of Spike music. Find Kat at Kat Chinetti on Twitter, Twitch, and Instagram. Find Marcus at Show and Mad Love on Twitter and Instagram. S-H-O-I-N-M-A-D-L-O-V. Please join our Facebook group at We Should Do This Again Sometime. And follow us on Twitter at Kat, K-A-T, and Mark, M-A-R-C. Read us at catseesmovies.tumblr.com and themarkrob, T-H-E-M-A-R-C-R-O-B.wordpress.com. Be sure to tip your waitress at Catherine Chidetti on Venmo. This podcast is executive produced by Kellen Conley and Eric Greenlee under Hyphen Podcast Group in conjunction with It's Like a Podcast or whatever. Thanks again for listening. We should do this again sometime. This is a Hyphen Podcast production. Are you not entertained?